Good morning. Wow. Good morning. <laughs> I've never, uh, that song we just sang, I, uh, is this too loud? Um, I never sang that song before, the, the part about when we all get to heaven. But I was thinking, I, it was about a year ago that I spoke here, and uh, what a difference a year makes, huh? Think where we are today and where we were last July. Wouldn't it be nice if a year from now we're actually singing that song? Amen. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. Well, my name is Flint, and I'm filling in for James uh, this morning. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I just work for the government, and as long as I still can, anyways. Um, the Lord gave me this message about two in the morning on a Thursday, this last Thursday. James had asked me to fill in, I think, on Wednesday and started putting some scripture together, and I woke up about two in the morning. The Lord laid this on my heart. So I, I hope and pray that the, the babblings will make sense to you. Uh, I really do. We're going to be, our, my primary text is going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to read the first three verses uh, together. Um, if you would just stand as I read God's word. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. Get my page straightened out here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. I thank you for those who are listening online. I thank you, Father, that across this country today there are millions of Christians meeting together to worship you. But we do look forward to the day, Lord, when we all get to heaven and we see you face to face and we're transformed. Right now, Father, you know that we're in the battle and it is a battle at times. In fact, it's a battle most of the time. But one day we will have the victory, the final victory when we see you face to face. But in the meantime, Father, I ask that you would use me this morning to teach, to present your word that you would open up ears and hearts to hear what you would have for them to hear, and that, God, we would come away from here a little more loving towards Christ, appreciative of him, and that that love and that appreciation would translate into certain actions, uh, certain words, so that people would see Christ in us and he would be glorified. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I don't know how this is all going to sound, but uh, here we go. Balance. Balance. We all want it in our lives, and yet we all seem to struggle for it. I think of the people that balance, have to balance their home life with work. There's a struggle there. Uh, I think of people who balance 
the desire to sleep with the desire to get up and run, which I don't have. That is the balances that we're looking for in our lives. And we all want balance. We talk about balance. I want to be a balanced person. I don't want to be one extreme or the other extreme. I want to be balanced. Truthfully, finding balance in the Christian life is a key to peace, maybe the key to peace. And as I observe Christians and look at myself, I sometimes see a lack of balance. For instance, it seems that we can become very, very legalistic. And we set up a sort of system of rules and things that we should do to, quote unquote, make ourselves holy. Or we go to the other extreme and we say, there is no, there is no command on my life. That can, I can do what I want. I'm under grace. We need to find the balance in that. And we as Christians, and it's because we're human and we're fallen, we have a hard time finding balance. We overemphasize some things and we neglect other things. And I would submit to you that this really should not be, that we should be able to find balance as we walk this walk. As it says in Philippians, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. As we do that, knowing that we're not working our way to heaven, that's a gift, but the, the sanctification process, as we work that out, finding balance is important. In Luke eleven forty two, 42, it says this, and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he had, a lot of, he had a lot of conflict with the Pharisees, as you recall. But, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus loved those Pharisees. He did. He loved them. And so he was talking to them. He says, but woe to you, Pharisees. This is Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and, or you could say, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Did you catch what Jesus said there? He didn't say to them, you should do the love part and the justice part and forget the tithing part. He said, you guys are out of balance. You are so quick and so concerned about tithing and keeping the jot and tittle of the law that you've neglected justice and the love of God. And Jesus doesn't say, forget the tithing part. He says, no, you should do that because the law commanded them to do that. But he said, you also should do the love and the justice part. In other words, Jesus is chastising them lovingly, but he is telling them you need to get into balance. As Christians, as I said, we get out of balance, don't we? It seems to me, and I've been saved since I was 32, I think, is when I got saved. And I say I think because I grew up in, I've said this with most of you, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm sure I prayed just received Jesus as my Savior a hundred times before I was six. Probably didn't know what thing I was doing, but my mom was going to have me say that prayer. But when I was 32 years old, the Lord got a hold of my life in a major way. And so I'm 55 now. So in the 20 plus years that I have been following Christ, been walking with him, not perfectly, but walking with him, 
I've noticed there seems to be two groups in the church. There's more than two, but I've noticed these two. The first group would be the, the group of guys, and I, I, not always are guys, but primarily it seems to be guys, at least it's been that way in my experience, and they are all about theology. They are all about studying God's Word. They go to every Bible study they can. They're reading commentary after commentary. I tend to that. Uh, they want to know, bring questions, did Adam have a belly button? Who were the Nephilim in Genesis 6? And they love to debate, and we do. We talk and we argue these things. The older I get, the less I do that. I just like, you think whatever you want to think, and I, that's fine. But when I was younger, we, I can remember I used to go to Warrington Baptist Church, and a lot of guys in that church were into theology, and we'd have these discussions slash debates and and we would discuss things. And these we, guys that are into theology or people that are into theology, they want to know about the Trinity. How does it work? Uh, they want to understand the nuances of the doctrine of justification. They want to be able to use theological words. They want to understand the hypostatic union. You can look that up. They want to know sound doctrine. And for them, that is the most important thing. Sound doctrine. We have to be about sound doctrine. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the desire to learn theology. And sound doctrine is so important. Learning about God and God's word is absolutely vital. Amen? Unless it leads to that knowledge never being used. Unless it leads to you Taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in, and there's no outworking. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Paul says we know these things. And then he adds this, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge, for knowledge's sake, puffs up. The problem with always learning, and it's the problem with the study of the problem of the study of theology, if, it's all, if that's all you do, is if it never leads to you to become more like Christ and have his life worked out in your life. Otherwise, you're just taking in facts. Uh, if it doesn't lead to service, and especially if it doesn't lead to love, it's just empty. It's just empty. Then there's another group of believers and this is the, the worker bees, if you will. Um, they don't really concern themselves with theology. They'll leave that up to the pastor and the boring people that want to study it like me. For this believer, it's all about the doing. Doing, doing, doing. Some churches are like that. If you're ever in a church that requires a lot of doing. And I, I'm not saying ask a lot of doing. Did you catch that? I said requires a lot of doing. Uh, it will wear you out. But these believers, they, they just want to serve. They want to be busy for God. They're the believers that you see. They're, they're busy in soup kitchens. Uh, they're cleaning the church. Uh, they're busy planning for the next vacation Bible school. 
for them being busy for the Lord is the most important thing. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of those things, is there? Not at all. As a matter of fact, they're all very important ministries. They have to be done. However, if all you do is serve, and that's your whole passion, and you neglect sound theology, if you neglect, and what is theology? Let's just boil it down. If you neglect looking into God's word to behold the beauty of the Lord, because really, I don't think theology is just to learn theological facts. I think you study theology, you should be to learn more of Jesus, to fall more in love with him, and to not be led carried away in error. So if you neglect that, if you say, I'm, look, you know what, I'm going to leave Bible study to that group, i got to scrub out this toilet bowl, um, you're making a mistake. If you neglect the serious study of God's word, you open yourself up to being led astray, of being carried away by unsound doctrine, of being tossed around. But something else. 2 Corinthians 9-7, it's a passage that Paul talks about uh, giving, tithing. He says, so let each one give, this is 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. As God lays it upon your heart, then give. Not grudgingly. I've got to give this because I'm supposed to. Not of necessity. Please give or we're going to turn off the lights. Although that's certainly a legitimate plea. Why? It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. You're thinking, what does that got to do with serving? I'm going to translate and say, God loves a cheerful server. He doesn't just want us to give cheerfully. He wants us to serve cheerfully. And one of the greatest errors that a server can fall into, the, the person that's into serving, and you've met him. Maybe most of you are. I'm more of the deep thinker. I'll sit there while you serve. I'm being facetious, but that's just the truth. Out of balance. But one of the problems that a server can get into is it can become plain old drudgery. Just nothing more than plain old duty. Somebody has to, and it's true, but if, you're, if you find yourself going from joyfully cleaning the church to like, I am sick and tired of people leaving their coffee cups under the chairs, and every time you come to do it, you're falling out of fellowship, there's a problem. How do you avoid drudgery in service to God? Well, I would submit to you that you must realize what God has done for you again and again by understanding sound doctrine. To do that, you've got to study God's word. Now, I'm not saying you have to go out and buy eight commentaries and a Greek lexicon. I'm not saying you have to do that. Uh, but I am saying that if you're going to serve God with a good heart, you have to have an understanding of God's word. Why? Not so you can win the theological debate, but so you can have a heart that is in love with God and in love with Christ, and it leads you to go back to serving with that joy. So then you go into the danger, well, how do I, how do I know if I'm overemphasizing one or the other? And again, the key is balance, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. 
If you look at Paul's epistles, his letters to the churches, he has a pattern, and he will start out by talking about theology. This is what God has done for you. And then he'll finish the book by talking practically. Therefore, and you'll see that word, therefore, in light of what God has done for you, you should be doing this. The idea is that we learn more of God, it should motivate us to serve him and others. Whether or not you're the theologian or you're the server, both groups, it's important to look at God's word to get motivated to find out why we do what we do. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 through 3 again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each man, each one, a measure of faith. Romans is my favorite book in the Bible. If I had to pick one book to have on a desert island, and only one book of the Bible, it would be Romans. The second book would be Psalms. Preferably like the whole thing, and a few uh, other books to read as well. But, you get the point. In Romans, a person goes from the highest revelation of God down to the most basic relationships between humans. In Romans, you hear you're justified by faith. And then you hear all Israel will be saved. And then you go to love does no harm. All in one book. And so much more. From, gro from glorious theology to practical living and everything in between. Romans divides into three sections. Chapters 1 through 8, doctrine. Chapter 9 through 11 is a parenthesis, if you will. It's dispensational. It deals with Israel. And then chapters 12 through 16 are the practical, the living out the Christian life. Now, we're going to be in chapter 12, but to get to that turning point, in Romans, that, that point where Paul finally says, I beseech you or I urge you or I beg you to put your faith into practice, to get there, you have to go back to chapter 8. So would you please turn with me to chapter 8 of Romans. Just go back a few pages. And we're going to look at verse 28. Now, 12.1 the therefore deals with all chapters 1 through Eight, But chapter 8 has an amazing, well, the whole chapter is an amazing section, but the verses 28 through 31, which we're going to read, just is so full of truth. So, so full of amazing truth, powerful truth, life-changing truth. So let's start and read verse 28. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Not COVID, that's for sure. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What an amazing section of Scripture. It has been said that if Romans is a mountain, the mountain of theology, that chapter 8 is the top of it, the peak of it. In these verses that we just read that lead us to chapter 12, verse 1, just point out some very, a few things. One, we see that God causes all things to work out for our good if we love him. We learn that we are predestined to be conformed in the image of Christ. You will be carried through to heaven. You will one day, we all will one day be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. We learn that we've been called and justified by God, declared righteous. We learn that God is for us. He's for you. He's on your side, or maybe more importantly, you're on his side. We learn God will give us all things that we need. We learn that no one is able to bring a charge against us to God. No one can go to God and say, what about this guy? And God says, yeah, what about him? Jesus says, it doesn't matter. He's in me. He has my righteousness. Case dismissed. We learn Christ makes intercession for us. We learn that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We learn that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Finally, we learn that there is nothing, and I mean nothing, including yourself, that can take you out of the love of God, which is in Christ. It is understanding these great theological truths, and they are great, that leads Paul to make that urgent plea in Romans 12 to present your body to God, a request that is vital for those who understand theology but fail to serve. In other words, if you are taking in theology but you don't get to Romans 12.1, you're making a mistake. You can learn all the facts. You can be a theologian and learn every fact in Romans 8 and be able to debate it with whoever. But if it doesn't lead you to Romans 12.1, you're just a noisy gong. You can be all about serving, 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 serving. But if, it, if you never come back to Romans 12 out of love for God because of what you've learned... It's for nothing. Believe it or not, that was just my opening. It'll go fast. Let's go back to Romans 12. 
So Paul, in light of all, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul begs, he beseeches us, therefore. And again, when you see therefore, you say, why is that there? And it's all the doctrinal truth that we just learned in Romans 8, but all of Romans 1 through 8, especially chapter 8. He, he begs you, he says, I beg you, because of what you've learned, because you are in Christ and you're not condemned, because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because you are an adopted child of God, because you are beyond all possibility of ever being condemned, you, can, you will never be condemned by God. Because Christ is risen from the dead and sits at God's right hand. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because of that and, and many other reasons, Paul asks something of us. Notice that what Paul does not say. He does not say, I command you. I command you, therefore. I order you, therefore. That language, I command, I order, that is the language of law. That is the language of Mount Sinai. There's no thunder here like at Mount Sinai. There's no standing before a mountain and you're so afraid that when Moses comes down and gives you all the laws and you say, yeah, all that you say we will do. I often have wondered what would have happened if they had said at that moment, there's no way we can do this. There are 613 laws. 613 laws. I've often wondered what would have happened if the children of Israel said, we want to, but there's no way. I wonder what God would have done. Anyways, Moses commanded, Paul urges. He urges us because why? Because God's been merciful to us. Mercy is a contrast to grace. Mercy expresses deliverance from the condemnation deserved. Grace is God giving you a blessing that you don't deserve. Mercy is God saying, I find you not guilty when you deserve to be guilty. Grace is, I'm going to adopt you as my son or my daughter. And it's all free. So because of what, <clears throat> because of what God has done for us, Paul asks us believers to do something. And that is to present our bodies. To yield our bodies now, I think it's referring to the whole person, not just the flesh, not just the carnality that we have, but the, the whole person, the mind, the, the will, the body, to present them to God as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Now, Jesus says we need to die to ourselves, and that's true, but here Paul says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Where once you presented your body to sin and to Satan, Paul says, now I want you to present your same body to God as a sacrifice. Holy, he says, and acceptable to God. In other words, he says, I want you separated from sin unto God. I want you to think about what I 
have told you about what God has done. And if you've never have read Romans, do it and read it again and again. Because there are, there are, in Romans 1 through 8, there are some truths there that are so mind-blowing. The just shall live by faith. <laughs> Therefore, being justified by grace. What can separate you from the love of God? I mean, all those stands, there's just there's so many of them. Paul says, in light of that, I want you, you theologians, and you servants, I want you to do something. Now, is this a one-time thing, or is this done over and over? And the answer to that is yes, it's both. There should be a moment in your life where you pause and you think what God has done for you and say, you know what, God, because you've done so much for me, out of love for you, I'm going to give you my body as a living sacrifice. But I also think that we should remind ourselves of this offering by offering ourselves again and again, as often as you desire and are led to. I think there should be a moment where you actually say to God, in light of what you've done for me, God, I am going to give you my life my body, as a living sacrifice. You know, I want you to think about it before you do it, though. There's a lot that's implied there. The, I think there's two wonderful examples of a living sacrifice. The first one is Isaac. Remember, Isaac is a young man he willingly goes with Abraham. He asks at one point, hey, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And his dad says, ah, God will provide himself a sacrifice. That's what it says literally. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Get up there, and, and, and most Bible scholars believe, and it's about right, that, that Isaac was probably in his 20s, maybe early 30s when that happened. He wasn't a little kid. And his dad says, I gotta tie you up. Hmm. Okay, Dad. Can I be cuffed in the front? It's more comfortable. Okay. Isaac, you gotta lay down on this altar that you and I built. Okay. Isaac, I'm gonna kill you. Okay. The other example, who else could it be but Jesus Christ who came to die willingly, lovingly, living sacrifices. Paul says in that verse, he says, this is reasonable for you to do this. My translation says reasonable, meaning in light of what God has done for you, it's a reasonable thing for you to give yourself to God. Yours might also say a spiritual form of worship, which, which has another implication, which is also powerful. It, because giving yourself as a living sacrifice is the ultimate form of worship. And by the way, if you haven't done that, then the rest is meaningless, practically speaking. It does no good, and it does not glorify God 
to sing praise songs if you're not living out Christ in your life. Now, we don't do this perfectly, and I'm not saying that we do, but what I am saying is, you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know when you're out of whack with God. You know when you're in rebellion to God. And there's a difference between being in rebellion, saying, God, I don't care. I want what I want, but I'm still going to go to church. And being, God, I know this is wrong. I don't want to do this. Please help me. It's a huge difference. On the one hand, you, you can come to church, you can sing songs, and what, the, what you're going to hear is the Holy Spirit saying, noise, 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 gong, 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 you have got to deal with this issue, Flint. He deals with me most of the time. This is going to sound funny, but when I'm in the shower, when I'm out of whack with him. I don't know why that is, but when I'm in rebellion, when I've dug in my heels, oh, at church, it's very there. I was like, this is... Oh, Lord, I know, I know, I know. But in the shower, there's something about that. It's just, he does. He's like, you are really, you're naked and undone before me, my friend, and you've got to get some issues dealt with in your life. The other person, though, that struggles and admits they're struggling is trying to obey. They can come and praise Jesus with a clear conscience. Because why? Because you're walking in the light as God has revealed the light to you. He knows we're str- we struggle. There's a difference, though, and I hope you understand. There's a difference between, God, I want this woman. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to do what I want to do, but I still want to be in fellowship with you. No. God, I struggle with lust. I don't want to lust. Help me to be a faithful, pure husband. You see the difference? There's a huge difference. So this spiritual form of worship is internal motivation. As I said, it should come before all other forms of worship. Otherwise, it's just superficial when you do worship. And this is going to be based on theological truth, on your understanding of what God has done for you. It cannot be based, and and I want you to hear my heart on this, I love to sing. That, ver- that last song we sang was powerful. I've never sang those words before about how one day it's all going to be right, and, and, and I know it's true. And uh, I love to sing, and I love to do those things, and I love the warm sometimes feelings over floods you. Am I the only one that gets that at times? I have to remind myself, like if I'm, when I'm in my alone time with the Lord, there are times where I feel his presence so powerful on me that it's, I don't want to leave. And there are times I don't feel nothing, and you know he's there both times. He really is there both times. But my understanding of, and my desire to serve God and to give myself as a living sacrifice cannot be based on the warm, ooey-gooey feelings of singing a praise song. As important as those feelings of, of fellowship with God are, as those times when I'm alone with him and he speaks to me and he touches me and he, he meets me and I know he meets me and he's there and I can sense him, even that is not fully enough to get me to Romans 12.1. There must be an understanding of what God has done for us. It's not going to be a perfect understanding. If you're a child, your understanding is not going to be the same as a 50-year-old who's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. But there has to be some understanding of what God has done for us. 
that leads us to Romans 12.1. Listen to me, those of you who are in this room who have a heart for service. Or listen to me, those of you who are here who want to learn and learn and learn. Offering yourself as a sacrifice to God is absolutely vital if you're going to keep your relationship with God in balance. If you're a theology student, listen to me. If you study God's Word and it doesn't bring you to come to Romans 12.1 and say, God, I give you myself as a living sacrifice based on what I've learned about you, you're out of balance. Servants here, listen to me, and I we need servants. If your desire to serve God does not bring you back to that offering of giving yourself as a sacrifice, you're going to be out of balance. If you're a theology student, this offering will, will bring you to put your knowledge into, into actions. If you're a servant, this offering will lead you to want to learn more of God. Why? So you're more motivated to love and serve out of love and not out of drudgery. It's almost like if you're a theologian type, you got to go towards Romans 12.1. If you're a server, you almost have to go back to Romans 12.1. Because I think sometimes the people, especially who have a servant's heart, they've got that love for God. They're out there doing that. But you can quick, it can quickly become just drudgery. And if it's just drudgery, it would be better that the bathroom not get cleaned as far as your reward goes. So verse 2 of Romans 12, And do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If verse 1 deals with making a commitment to God, then verse 2 deals with how you maintain that commitment. You've got to Romans 12, 1, you've given yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the act of a commitment. Verse 2 deals with the lifetime of living that out. So we're called to not be conformed to this world. What is the world? Is the world the birds you hear singing in the beautiful ocean? No. The world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the world system that wants to exclude God. That's the world we're not to be conformed to. It's constantly seeking to conform you and me into its image. But instead, he says, renew your minds. Renew your minds. The question is obvious. How do we renew our minds? It's, first of all, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But you have a part to play. But it is the Holy Spirit working from within that renews our minds and transforms our lives. If you want, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This speaks of the song we just sang at the, at the last song. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. As you, This is talking about if you, as you look upon Christ in the Scriptures, as you study Christ, as you learn of Christ, as you seek fellowship with Christ, as you intently look at Him, you are being transformed into the same image. It will not be perfect until we're in heaven. But look who does it. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
In other words, as you behold Christ in his word, you're transformed, but it is as you yield in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Go to Titus 3.5. Go forward just a few books. Titus 3.5. Right after 2 Timothy. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we see it's the Holy Spirit who renews us, who builds us up. And so he says, present your bodies and don't be conformed. Renew your mind. That leads to something very wonderful. It really does. As you, it leads us to recognize God's will. Look at verse 2. That you may prove or know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you see the, the progression there? As you yield more to God through the Holy Spirit, God's will becomes more evident, and it's good, and it's acceptable, and eventually, in your heart and mind, it becomes perfect. It becomes perfect. You prove it out. You live God's will out, and eventually, at one point in time, you'll come to the point where you say, you know what? God, what God says is best. What he wants is best. What he says is best. And there's a choice. There's this constant choice we have to make. Do we, do we believe that and act it out in obedience? Or do we say, no, God, in this particular case, I don't think you have the best for me. You kind of laugh, but we do it all the time. We just do because we're sinful, but many times we don't. And I, and I just want to encourage you, by faith, to believe that what God has in store for you is the best. Just a practical example. You're a young Christian guy. And you, for whatever reason, get involved with an unsaved girl. And God's word says don't. But I love her. She's so pretty. God's word says don't. But God, don't. Now there's the choice. Do you believe that God has someone out there perfect for you? Or are you going to go with your gut? It's, it's literally that basic. Those are the choices that God presents. If you, you can wait for who the best that God has for you, or you can take the consolation prize and reap the consequences. Then verse 3. And by the way, this, going back to 1 and 2, this, this dedication, this, this presenting your body, this renewing your mind, it's done out of appreciation. And I want to make that very clear. This is a result of receiving God's mercy. It's not in order to receive it. Please don't misunderstand anything I'm saying this morning. This is not a have to. Paul doesn't, he says, I want you to do this. I would like you to do this. I beg you to do this. It's the best for you. But whether or not you present yourself as sacrifice, whether or not you keep renewing this, yourself as a sacrifice, does not determine whether or not God shows mercy to you. It does not determine whether or not you go to heaven. 
This is not do this and get to go to heaven. That is by faith in Christ. It's a gift. Amen. I think, we, I think James teaches that, and I know he does. It's not what you do. It's who you believe in. So it's a voluntary commitment that every believer should make out of love. And then verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul is stating this, I'm giving you this by the authority of my apostleship, by the grace given to me. This is what I want, think you should do. He says, by, under the authority of God's will, I'm telling you, do not think more of yourself than you should. For instance, if you're someone who studies God's word and you love to study God's word and you can discuss theological things, you should not look down on the Christian who isn't into that. And for you servant people who say, you know, I don't have time to study God's word. I got to vacuum the carpet or I got to fix coffee. You should not look down on the people that are studying God's word. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's all he's saying there. Why? Because it's God who gives you your spiritual gifts, and he gives you the faith to operate those gifts. It is a gift to have a servant's heart. It's one of the giftings. It is a gifting to have a desire to learn God's word, to learn more of him, but hopefully to teach it. Verses 4 and 5. But as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. When you put your faith in Christ, you become part of a body unit. You're still an individual, but you become part of the body of Christ. You each have a job to do. We each have a gifting, more than one sometimes. We need each other. We, you, it's like what he says elsewhere. You know, you can't say because I'm not a, an eye... Or because I'm the eye, I don't need the toe. We need each other. And in our context, we do need people that will study theology. And we do need people that will vacuum carpets. And if they're both in the same, wow, that's really something. Verse 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to our ministry. Or he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he says, our giftings are given to us from God for a purpose. They're exercised within the body for the benefit of others. I'm not going to go into these verses in detail, but understand that God has, given, has gifted you with certain traits or certain things in you that you have that he's given you. Um, if you're gifted to study the Bible, it's for the building up of the body. It's not just so you can win a debate. If, he's, if you uh, have been the gift of service, it's for the building up of the body as well, not just to say to, to your friends how busy you are for God and how indispensable you are to the church. And if I don't do it, it isn't going to be done. And i got to get in there and get it done because Flint's not going to do it. He's too busy studying. I submit to you that you can engage in either activity, serving or studying, and be out of balance. How do I know that? How do you know, well, okay, where am I at with this? The test comes in the next few verses we're going to look at. So as we look at these next few verses, and we're just going to go through them very quickly, Lord, where am I at? Lord, I have this tendency. 
this is my tendency, Father, whatever it might be. It may not be service, it may not be study, but we all have these things that we gravitate to as Christians. Where am I at with this? Where am I at with you? Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Love is so important to the body of Christ, but it has to be a sincere love, not fake. We must hate evil and cling to what is good. That's the proof of how real your love is. We're told to be kind to one another. How often can those with knowledge be unkind to those who aren't as knowledgeable? How often can we be so unkind to those who are not into serving as hard as we are. Why aren't you in VBS? Why don't you volunteer for more committees? Zeal for biblical truth or passion for service must not replace kindness. There's a, I have a saying that says, when in doubt, when in doubt, show grace. When in doubt, err on the side of grace. There's an old Scottish preacher who said, remember, quote, remember if you are not very kind, you are not very spiritual. We need to be kind to one another. 11 through 13, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. We are to be passionate in our relationship with God. Not lagging in diligence, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're leaky, so we need to continually be filled. We should be serving. We need to rejoice in hope. The hope that we have in Christ now, the hope we have in Christ in the future, and to know that, you have to study God's Word. You have to know, what, why do we hope? See, this is where the balance comes in. You've, you, there has to be an understanding of a basic biblical truth of, this is why I have a hope. I will know that I will rise from the dead. Why do I know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. I know that one day he will come back for me. Why do I know that? Because he said in John 14, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If you don't ever get into this book and understand, you don't know why do I have hope. Why? We should be patient in tribulation, it says there. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. We know who's in control. And you learn that by learning theology. We should be devoted to prayer and willing to care for one another, be hospitable to one another. Verses 14 and 15, bless those who persecute you. Ooh, yuck. Bless and do not curse. There are certain members of Congress, I won't mention their names, there's four of them, <laughs> that I pray for their salvation. At the same time, I pray that God would bind their evil ways. I like just to curse at them. That'd be a lot funner. 
Do you see my heart there? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, I want to in the flesh just lash out. Arm up. Get a bunker. Bring it on. And God says, no. I want you to bless those who persecute you. I don't want to wear a mask. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. We bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We should take verse 14 to heart because we may be called upon to do this very thing. When it says persecute there, the word means to pursue or hunt down. He says bless those who pursue you and hunt down. We're called to rejoice when appropriate and weep when appropriate with each other. Now, I'm almost done, but I, this is not part of my notes, but I'm going to share this. I'm not a prophet, okay? This is just a, a, a belief that I had developed over time. I do not believe that the body of Christ is going to escape persecution in this country. I don't know entirely what that means. But I would urge you to prepare yourself spiritually for that possibility. Have you taken God's word that we have in abundance and hidden it in, our, in your heart? Do you take time to spend time with the Lord now? It doesn't have to be a lot, but just take a few minutes daily and just spend time with God. Get to know him so that when these, these problems happen, we're not paying catch-up with God. I don't know what the future holds, but I would have never said a year ago when I was here that we'd be this. Just pray about it. That's all I'm asking. I could be dead wrong. I hope I am wrong. I, I, I do believe that there's going to be a tremendous spiritual revival in the United States. I think we're going to see millions of people come to faith in Christ and be marched away into camps. I hope I'm wrong. I, I would gladly be wrong. But I don't think I am. I don't think we're going to have the same country five years, ten years from now that we do now. I pray, God, that I'm wrong. Pray for our country. Pray for the church in America, that we would have revival and repentance among God's people, that we would present ourselves a living sacrifice, that people would see Christ, that as the church is persecuted, by the way, generally the gospel explodes. I heard this online, or read this, I should say, online. China, you know, you can't openly spread the gospel in China. They have cameras everywhere. But now China has mandated you wear a mask everywhere. And now Christians in China, because they can't get a good facial recognition with the masks, are just spreading the gospel. <laughs> Think about that. Wow. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I need to learn that one. <laughs> Repay no one evil for evil. 
That's another one of those hard ones. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. God knows there are some people that you can be as nice to in the world, and they're just going to be pains. But as much as it depends upon you, try to live peaceably. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So don't be proud. Don't repay evil for evil. Try to live peacefully with all men. Don't take revenge. Let God be the one that fights for you. Be loving to your enemy. Overcome evil with good. Verses 9 through 21 of this chapter are some of the most demanding verses in God's word. So I'm just going to ask you quietly to think, God, how am I doing with this? How am I doing living out these difficult verses in the power of your spirit? Do you find yourself taking in Biblical doctrine, biblical doctrine, learning, 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 but not living these verses out. Do you find yourself serving, 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 but you're not living these verses out? I don't have time to be nice to you. I'm studying God's word. <laughs> I don't have time to talk to you about Jesus. I've got to back it. And that, sound, that sounds so stupid, but... If, I swear to you, if you are, I, I don't know why I'm picking on servants, but if you know what I'm talking about, because I've been there. I've been one of the four adults that volunteer for Children's Church, and like, what in the world is with these other adults? <laughs> so what is the solution if you find yourself, I should be doing better? I think we all should be doing better. I'm not here, I'm not, this is not a put down on you guys. This is done in love. God's doing things out of love. Well, if you find yourself and you're a learner and you don't ever live it out, or if you find yourself a server who's grumpy, go back and learn what God has done for you in Christ. Fall in love with Jesus again. Oh, my word, he is so wonderful and powerful, and he's coming back soon. Fall in love with him. Study God's word with the heart to learn of Christ. All of us, theologian and learner or, or servant, when you go to this book, oh, I want to see Jesus. I want to look at his image because it says if I look at his image and I yield to his spirit, I am going to be transformed into his likeness more and more and more. Then after you've learned more of Christ and you've fallen in love with Christ more, then go back to Romans 12:1 again. Say, God, I'm going to give you my body. All 250 pounds of it. <laughs> I'm going to give you my body as your sacrifice. Because it's reasonable to do. And then do it again and again as many times as you need to. Why? Because God has done so much for you, and he wants to bless you. What an amazing God. How patient he is with us. How faithful he is to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you uh, take these 
ramblings and somehow use them for your kingdom and for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.